This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Trauma and trauma-related disorders is a topic I hold great reverence for and was waiting for the moment where I could welcome on a guest with the right credentials to discuss it with my audience. Well, it was well worth the wait. Dr. Amy Apogean joined me in the most meaningful and heartfelt conversation about trauma and the impact of stored and unprocessed trauma on our biology. Dr. Apogean is a formidable expert in stored trauma. You can find her work and programs at TraumaHealingAccelerated.com. Dr. Amy is what she goes by, and she has studied the biology of trauma and teaches thousands of practitioners and patients to unwind traumatic experiences from their body and address the biological impact of trauma. This is done in a very safe, stepwise way. I'm sure you will find this helpful to hear about in this episode. Just a reminder to please share and subscribe and post the episodes of these podcasts to your friends. People need the information that this podcast has to offer. Also, please remember to check out my affiliate sponsors in the show notes to help support this podcast for future episodes. And without further ado, I welcome you to the next episode Dr. Amy, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Uh, thank you so much. It's, it, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. It's great getting to know you a little bit offline and hearing that you grew up in the Washington area. Which uh, I am still was a such a Northwestern girl. Like, give me green. Give me green. Give me lakes. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's a beautiful part of the world for sure. Um, well, I would like to just start our conversation in hearing a little bit about your uh, current work that you're doing and also weave in some of your background. I know you you have a very interesting background and in how you got to doing the work you're doing today. So I'd love to um, see what you'd like to share in that area. Yeah, I, there's such exciting stuff going on. Uh, I do yearly biology of trauma summits. And so these week-long uh, marathons of interviews of experts in their fields. And then I have also now started a certification course for professionals. And so these are professionals both um, in the health space, but also in the mental health space. There's a lot of therapists and counselors who are really finding a lot of tools in this biology piece that are helping them make more progress with their patients or clients in trauma therapy. And so it's this, a beautiful bridging of the two worlds of functional medicine and trauma therapy. And it's really neat to see that. I will say that I do open up my biology of trauma modules, not just to those professionals seeking certification, but also to the general public, kind of like your audience, where I have just as many people who are like, hey, you can't just teach that stuff to the professionals. I want to know this stuff for myself. And so they're taking the biology of trauma modules 
as well. And it's just so meaningful for me to be able to see them uh, make change in their life in areas that they had given up on and thought that this was just who they were and they would always be this way and almost using past stories and life experiences as an explanation for why they would continue to have the health problems that they have or why would they would continue to have the rea- the reactions to people, places, things that they do rather than seeing like, oh my goodness, I have more more power, more um, agency than I thought that I had and they just needed the right tools. And what I teach a lot as well is it's the right tools in the right order. And that gets me back to my story and how I even landed here. Cause my goodness, like this is not what I ever expected. I did not grow up in mm. Wenatchee, Washington thinking, Oh, you know, I'm just going to become the leading expert on store trauma in the body. Like never, never in my mind did I see my career path going this way. I knew pretty early on that I wanted to do medicine, but I am such a nerd. I'm such a geek. And so I always had my thoughts on, uh, getting the PhD and doing all the research. And at one point I was even planning on, you know, doing like pediatric cancer research. And that was literally where I saw myself going in that direction. And so I actually did when I started medical school at Loma Linda University and uh, moved away from Seattle, Washington, <laughs> the, um, I entered into that program also uh, in the biochemistry program. And so when I graduated from medical school, I also already had a master's in biochemistry, and then I had started my master's in public health and have completed that by now. So for me, it's always been this fascination with the body and how the body works. And what I started to notice, I mean, there's there's my experience with my son for sure, but just in my own health experience and not understanding how uh, what trauma really was. And so I would never have really identified with someone who had had significant trauma that it would be affecting their health until I got really sick with conditions and symptoms that I knew from my studies were closely associated with the adverse childhood experiences. And so I got to look at that on a very personal level and figure out my path forward because I, even as a medical physician, like I didn't know the path through trauma. I didn't I knew now that I had it and that my body was still living from a survival place, but I had no idea how to change it other than what I'm sure you were taught because I was taught, which is, oh, you know, Amy, you should go to therapy and talk about it. (laughs) And what Mm -hmm. would happen is that I would do that and I would get a flare up of my symptoms. And my symptoms at that time included fatigue and autoimmune type of stuff and I would have a flare up of my symptoms, not to mention like the the GI stuff and just the the, the abdominal pain and the, the the joints and just the heaviness. And I was like, wait a second, why is this happening? If I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing to process trauma, why am I having a flare up of my physical symptoms around this? And so that's where I started having to learn, wait a second, there there is a time and place for story. And there's also things that we need to do before then in order to have the body ready to process and resolve trauma. And so just through my own personal trial mm. and error, trial and error, Adam, like that's that's how that's how I learned to figure out, wait a second, there's an actual essential sequence to addressing 
stored trauma in the body and we have to we have to hold that as almost like sacredness we have we have to we have to honor trauma we we can't disregard it and we can't minimize it it is a real thing and our biology has adapted to it and we have to honor that in order for us to safely and successfully then process trauma in the right way to resolve it so that's what i teach mm. now in my courses is what what i've had to learn from my own personal health and then started finding so much meaning as i continued my career course eventually switched out of general surgery which is what i was doing in portland oregon at the time and then landed in preventive medicine and addiction medicine so those are my two board certifications and my work now is entirely focused on helping people resolve truly truly resolve stored trauma in the body and teaching other professionals how to do the same wow fascinating background um i love how you teach um a sequence and you know sort of a a process um versus people jumping right into this work and getting unstable and feeling um worse than they they could have imagined that's exactly what happens um, mhm and then people get scared of doing therapy, right? And and so they put it off and they don't do it because they're like, oh, I'm going to get really emotional. I'm going to fall apart. I'm afraid to open up that story. I'm afraid to open up that place because I would fall apart. And it's true, Adam. Right? Like that's a legitimate fear because it's true that if we don't do things in the right way, it could be the right thing just in the wrong order. And we will fall apart because it's not honoring how trauma actually even happened and how it got stored in the body. And we just have to reverse engineer that and walk that back out from how it got in. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's it's so important um, because we we hear this term trauma used quite a bit um, now. And maybe we can go into some basic definitions of what trauma is and what it isn't, just to kind of have people understand a framework to think about this through. That's a really important place to start. We have to understand a, a framework. And this is where I see that most people still misunderstand trauma. So I'm so glad that mm -hmm. you're starting here. And what we have thought, and again, what you and I were probably taught, is that trauma is an event. And we've even classified it, haven't we? We've classified it as a big T trauma event or a small T trauma event. But the focus has been on the event. And that's actually entirely wrong because there can be no event and our body still goes into a trauma response and has a trauma reaction. So trauma is the body's experience, is the body's response to whatever it is. And this could be a single event. This could be a internal physiology that's happening. This like an infection or a disease, or it can be something that was an extended period of our time, like just my whole childhood, <laughs> right? Do you really want to <laughs> like look back and, and point to like, well, no, that single thing from my childhood. And so it, it really is our body's response to something and how I have seen, like how I've come to define trauma based on what I've seen happening in the biology 
is that trauma was anything that for any reason at that time overwhelmed our body's ability to respond. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, again, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, when we when we look at then, well, what are those things that can overwhelm us? We can see that there are several factors that go into even predisposing someone to experiencing trauma. And so, again, it's mm-hmm. so it's it's really not as much about the event itself, but in terms of the body's response and how resourced was it at the time? How much of an internal sense yeah. of safety did it have at the time? How much magnesium <laughs> did it mm-hmm. have at the time? Was it going mm-hmm. into the, uh, that mm-hmm. event with a zinc deficiency, which is one of the most common deficiencies in anxiety and depression, by the way. Mm. And so if you're going into an experience of life with a zinc deficiency, just as one example, Mm. you are actually predisposed to experience it as a trauma. Whereas somebody going through the exact same event and they are fully resourced in terms of externally, but also internally with their nutrients, with their biology, with their physiology, they are actually able to go through the event and process it at the time and it doesn't become stored trauma. Whereas someone mm-hmm. else, they're not able to process it at the time. It overwhelmed them. And so it kind of gets hidden yeah. away. That's why we call it stored trauma, because it gets hidden away. We weren't able to process it, resolve it at that time. And that's what continues to then affect our biology. And so when we look at what is mm-hmm. trauma versus a stress response, stress is something that our body can return back to a state of what you and I would call homeostasis, what everybody Mm -hmm. else would call your baseline, your state before that event. Whereas a trauma Mm -hmm. is something where, ooh, if you are not able to process and resolve it at that time and it overwhelms you, then your body is now continuing to be affected. It doesn't return Mm -hmm. to that baseline. It doesn't return to that homeostasis. Mm -hmm. You now have a different setting on your thermostat. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of winding that back even further, something that you mentioned earlier in our conversation is the um, one of the predispositions is the ACEs score. Um, Going back to... Uh, someone who is faced with a traumatic experience, but has had all these, this buildup um, from childhood um, puts them more at risk, correct? Yes. And I'm, I'm glad that we're diving into that topic because there's so much that happens in our childhood that we are not aware of. So much of what stays with us from childhood happened even before we had words to even Mm -hmm. be able to describe, I'm uncomfortable, this is stressful, I'm overwhelmed. And so there are more people coming out of childhood with what, what we would have to call, Adam, as attachment trauma. And why would I call it trauma? Not because they were beaten, not because they were abused, not because they were neglected, but certainly if they were, they have a more 
uh, like it's a it's a greater degree of stored trauma. But yeah. other people are just going through it in a way that they are having these overwhelming experiences before they even have words to describe what they're going through, which is part of why it's overwhelming. They can't communicate that in a way that their caregivers are getting the message. And that actually Mm -hmm. starts to form trauma patterns. And by trauma patterns, I mean living from a place of survival into their nervous system while it is still developing, which is key because if a person goes through an event after their nervous system has developed, that's very different than going through an overwhelming experience while your nervous system is still developing. And so the earlier that overwhelming experiences happen for us, the more it actually just becomes our very fabric. It becomes our tissues. It becomes us before we knew that there was a different version or biology of us. Hmm. Oh, that's very interesting how that's how you're describing that because I think people can go and do like a ACEs score survey. There's websites um, out there that help you just uh, quantify or kind of visit that concept. But I think it's it is helpful, and I'm really I'm really glad that um, that's being discussed um, as a risk factor for PTSD or trauma related disorders. Yeah, in fact, from my studies, it's impossible for someone to experience and develop PTSD as an adult without having these attachment trauma patterns wired in from childhood. If they didn't have these attachment trauma patterns wired into their nervous system, they wouldn't experience the degree of overwhelm as an adult when they go through an experience. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing for people who are loved ones or um, friends of someone who's been through a Trump traumatic experience and maybe has developed PTSD to understand, you know, that maybe you experienced the same trauma with that person and you've you've walked away um, from it from with with less of a chronic pattern, and then the next person might have a chronic pattern from that experience. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's so important for people to understand that it really has less to do with the event itself, but the person and their system and their body going through that event. And what is the state of health, emotional health, physical health going into that event? That's what more predicts Mm -hmm. your, how you're going to come out the other side, not actually the event itself. Mm Hmm. Wow, that is profound um, just to hear that and to have that as a model to think through is very helpful um, because it really honors someone's journey versus um, just sort of, uh, you know, I'm fine. What What's going on with you? Right, you know, right. why, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why aren't you adapting? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and they are adapting. It's right. Like they are adapting to their experience. Just like we're adapting to our experience. And the the body is amazing at adapting. And that's what children's babies' nervous systems are doing constantly is adapting to their environment, whatever that environment is. And so when we experience frequent 
experiences of overwhelm in our life, Adam, that's what we are adapting to. And we are adapting to, I am going, I'm going through life. I'm living life that frequently feels overwhelming to me. And so we start to adapt by forming bracing patterns. And then people start getting chronic pain from those bracing patterns, or they start to develop other types of Mm. symptoms and diseases because of bracing patterns that they don't even recognize are there because these are so on a subconscious Mm. level that our body just does what it needs to do to survive. It's amazing, right? It's like we can look at trauma and be like, oh, this is a bad thing. And yet, and yet looking back, it's what helped you survive. You wouldn't be here today Mm. if your body had not in that moment shut down. If your body in that moment had tried to still fight, had tried to still do whatever, we can look back and be like, oh, I hated that I, that I had that response. And yet that response at that time was your body's best attempt to just help you survive and get through no matter what the cost. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So some of these models that are taught about trauma talk about the behaviors of animals um, that we see in nature after a traumatic experience, like after being chased by a predator or what have you. Can you comment on that? And perhaps should we behave more like animals? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the great question. I've never been asked this question before. This is awesome. Um, so yes, yes. And how's that for an answer? Yes. And so when we look at the animal kingdom, we do see for the most part, Animals tend to be able to follow their body's impulses that allow them to process and resolve trauma in the moment. But also, I'm not sure that they experience overwhelm as much as they experience stress. Because they are able to stay with stress. And what I see... So often, Adam, is that because of earlier life overwhelming events, their nervous system has been trained, conditioned, and adapted to immediately go into overwhelm with the tiniest bit of stress. It's like because of because they have these prior life experiences of overwhelm, their body already knows, oh, I don't have enough energy for that. I don't have enough resources for that. I don't have enough support for that. And so with the smallest stressors now, we feel that collapse, which is the trauma response. We feel that collapse of energy. We feel that collapse of our body posture. We feel the heaviness come on. That's actually the trauma response. And so we, in that way, right, like ah, like our body's adaptations, we can see that mm, while they helped us at that time, they no longer serve us. And that's what I don't see happening as much in the animal kingdom is that they are, they don't seem to have adapted to going immediately into overwhelm and the, and the trauma response when they are met with a stress, they're able to stay longer in the actual stress response. And then after they go through a stress, a big activation is what we, that the term that we use in somatic experiencing for that. And that activation happens as a result of this massive amount of adrenaline being released in our blood, and it goes out to all of our tissues and our muscles, and it helps us 
move into action. And what I see happening, Adam, is that we get these huge releases of adrenaline, like we should, but we have been conditioned almost to a learned helplessness because of past overwhelming experiences, and we don't move into action. And so now what happens is that we have all of this excess adrenaline that it's just sitting there because we've shut down. And that excess adrenaline is what causes a lot of damage. That's what really starts to cause fibromyalgia, uh, body aches, body pains. And it also starts to cause then chronic fatigue. And so it's this cycle that our bodies then start to go into where we have adrenaline being released with every new stress, but our body is always like, oh no, I can't handle stress. I'm going to go into overwhelm. I'm not going to take action. And I'm too tired to take action now. I have chronic fatigue. I have chronic pain. I have fibromyalgia. I have this autoimmune condition. So I can't take action. I don't have the energy to take action. And so we continually build and accumulate more and more excess adrenaline, stored trauma in our bodies, and we see a further and further decline of our physical health and certainly our emotional and mental health. And that's not what I see happening in the animals, right? Like you don't see them getting fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. You don't see them getting these conditions that are a result of going into overwhelm and not taking action. So when we look at the zebra, for example, right, because we've studied zebra, why do zebras not get ulcers? Well, it's because they run. It's because they take action in the moment. Mm. And they release all of that adrenaline. We don't release the adrenaline we freeze up, we get overwhelmed. And when we get overwhelmed, we don't take action. And so then what happens yeah. is that the zebra has been able to release all this adrenaline. So now it comes back into what we call a parasympathetic state. And it can go back to eating the grass on the plains and not be worried about the next lion because it's been able to settle because it discharged all of that adrenaline from the stress response. Now, what we want to what we want to get to and this is where i like want to inspire people of what is possible when you do trauma work in the right way is that eventually not only do you become like the zebra and you learn how to release and process stuff as it is happening and not go into overwhelm but then eventually you become like the lion right? Where you're not even worried about people chasing you because you feel so safe. You feel so secure. You feel so empowered in who you have become that there's just this ownership that you have of your life. Mm. And that's what's possible when we do trauma work in the right way with the right tools. Wonderful. It's It's a really graceful and powerful vision to have of you know, like being in a, in kind of a state of a lion, you know, sort of poised and um, yeah. prepared for life. <laughs> poised and prepared. Exactly. Relaxed, right? Like they're, they're usually just sitting there on the plains, right? Like on their big rock overlooking everything. And they're relaxed and yet mm. they're also prepared. They're not unprepared. Mm-hmm. And that's what so many of us experience is that because we go into this place of overwhelm, since that's how our bodies have adapted, then we're unprepared for the next thing that hits us. And there's two triggers Mm. for this trauma response, 
two triggers that people need to know about. It's something that happens too much too fast. Boom, too much too fast. It hits you, you're not prepared. You weren't prepared for something that big. That can be, as an example, like a car accident. Whatever it was, that car came at you too fast. You didn't have the time to respond. But the other Mm -hmm. trigger for the trauma response and overwhelm is something that where we are living too long for something, having too little of something that's important for us. And is that too Mm -hmm. little of, this is where the list can get long, Adam, right? Too little of support, too little of touch, too little magnesium, too little Mm -hmm. of antioxidants, and your oxidative stress has reached Mm -hmm. a critical mass in your cells, and your cells cannot, your cells do not have the capacity to handle any more stress. They're already doing the best that they can. And now you just added one more stress to your life. Oh, no. Like, we can't. We're at max. And that's kind of where we talk about, oh, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Like, we have to look at our state going into life experiences. And we have, I mean, life is ongoing experiences, right? And what is our state going into that? Are we actually prepared? Because if we're not, if we're not able to come into it from a place of strength, like the lion, it's saving its energy for when it needs to go do the hunt. Mm -hmm. Something hits us and we don't have the energy to meet that new stress. And once again, just like many other experiences in our life, we just go into overwhelm and we get knocked down by the wave rather than being able to ride the wave all the way through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like how you tie in both the understanding from a psychology standpoint and then the biology standpoint, you know, what the body needs to endure, you know, talking about nutrients and talking about oxidative stress in the body. Um, I think that's a big launching point that is often overlooked. Um, And it also is empowering because, you know, in, in a lot of sense, you have more control over that. Exactly. Like we can help you with reducing your oxidative stress, which will directly increase your Mm -hmm. capacity for stress. We can identify micronutrient deficiencies, macronutrient deficiencies. We can identify ongoing inflammation sources in your body that are using up energy Mm -hmm. that decreases your capacity to hold stress. Mm -hmm. So let's go into a little bit more before moving even further forward about the biology and neuroanatomy of trauma. I I would just love to hear your take on it because I study this and every time I open a paper, there's this new brain structure that's telling me where where, where to think about trauma. And I, I, to be honest, it's like at some point you just, you know, you kind of get lost in that and can't make sense of it. Um, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. And then I'd also like to circle, circle back to hearing more about behaviors such as fawning and flight or flight behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been, again, for me, a really interesting part of my own personal journey um, where 
I was taught to look more at the psychology and the amygdala and the limbic system and what exactly is wrong and how do I calm down my limbic system? How do I calm down my amygdala? And what I found was that, wait a second, it actually, those places are responding from what's called our autonomic nervous system. And so we have different branches of our nervous system. The central nervous system refers to the brain. So the central nervous system is the brain and also the spine, so the spinal cord. And then coming out of that, you have all of these nerves that actually run your body. And they are the autonomic nervous system. So these are, uh, it, it includes things like the, the cranial nerves, right? They're things that you don't have conscious control over. Like you don't have conscious control over your lungs breathing, your heart beating, your kidneys functioning, your liver functioning. Thank goodness, right? Imagine if we had to consciously control all of that. And so hmm. we have this autonomic nervous system that is responsible for keeping us alive. And that is where the trauma response happens. The trauma response does not happen in our brain. The trauma response happens in our body and specifically that autonomic nervous system and it changes its communication. And so there are three states of our autonomic nervous system. I've already mentioned parasympathetic state, which is what people might remember being called like the rest and digest state, where mm -hmm. you are at your healthiest, you are at your best, you feel safe, you feel secure. You inherently know that you're gonna be okay and that you are okay. Very, very few people <laughs> live in parasympathetic these days. But that's that's a different, <laughs> that's a different conversation. So the other right. states are the sympathetic state, which is the stress response. And that's a very high energy state. And so the messaging coming from uh, the central nervous system down into all of the tissues through that autonomic nervous system is, you know what? We are in active danger. Rev your engines. Perform your best. This is where even athletes like are in that sympathetic response when they are performing because that is when we are at our best. We are the most alive. We feel the most alive when we are stressed. When we and and I don't mm -hmm. use stressed in a bad in a bad term because stress can be a good stress. It's just when we have let stress become overwhelming. So we need to, and I teach a whole module on this in the biology of trauma, is how to actually take back control over our stress response so that we're using it for good, for helping ourselves rather than letting it take us down. But then you have this third state of the nervous system. And this is what many people have not understood because, again, what I was taught, what I was taught was that, oh, there's fight, flight, and freeze as your survival responses, as your danger responses. And when we say it that way, we're saying it as if they're all the same state and they're not. They are completely different states. The stress response, that sympathetic response is a high energy state. It is the highest energy state. It is where your mitochondria are using up everything that you have in order to give yourself the most amount of energy 
and all of your tissues are using that energy. So any, any compromises to that system is directly going to compromise your ability to stay in the stress response, to stay present with it, to stay up on that board if you're surfing the wave and not get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So that third state then is the overwhelm state. It's also the trauma response state. There's a couple different words that we can use for it. It's also the freeze response. Freeze response does not mean that you stand there frozen. It means that your body has now gone, received the communication through your vagus nerve that comes out of your brainstem and goes down into your chest, your heart, your lungs, and your digestive system. And it says, shut down, shut, just shut down. I don't, I don't care what you think. I am taking over right now because our physiology, our biology is at risk. If we maintain this high energy state of stress, I don't think we're going to make it because we don't have enough energy. We don't have enough resources. This is too big of a threat for us to be able to make it. So plan B, plan B for survival, we're going to shut everything down. So that's why so many people start to have digestive issues as they grow older. It's also where their immune system starts to shut down because their immune system is actually better in the sympathetic state. Cortisol actually improves our immune system. It's when we go into that freeze response, cortisol actually stops. And if enough time happens, people will start to notice in, if they're testing their cortisol that they actually start to have low cortisol. Very mm-hmm. interesting to notice the progression of accumulated stored trauma in the body, where initially people will probably have high levels of cortisol if you're testing it, because more of the time, maybe they're still in that stress response and their adrenal glands are able to keep up with that amount of stress. However, the more time that they start to spend in overwhelm, that's the messaging that shuts down the adrenal glands. It's not that their adrenal glands give up and give out. No. It's the adrenal glands are getting a message from the autonomic nervous system that says, nope, stop, just stop, stop. Because the more cortisol you put out, the more energy we are expending and we can't, we have to go into an energy conservation state. That's the only Mm -hmm. possible way that we can survive this. And so it shuts down cortisol, which then decreases our immune system. So we start to develop the autoimmune conditions. We start to develop all kinds of stuff. And so we look at this progression of a person's life and it starts to make sense of why they start to get certain diseases at certain ages. Mm -hmm. And this kind of also plays back to the adverse childhood experiences of being able to see, ah, like this is, this is the, the progression. This is the biology of trauma playing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, I, the continuum of being able to piece this all together. I'm sure people, you know, like myself, I, I keep having, you know, how, am, how is my behavior affecting my own son and, you know, his, his history. And, you know, you can't help but think about like how we're impacting others. And, you know, there's enough parent guilt out there already. Um, right? So that, I, that I think guilt, it's just, that you know, guilt, that shame is putting us into the trauma response. Shame is the trauma response. So, yeah, you're, you're right. spot on. And a lot of parents come to me and say, 
How do, how do I stop from passing this on to my kids? And I think that's an, that's an important, um, you know, after sort of addressing your own journey and your own process, I think it just naturally happens because that's a gift that you bring to your, to your family. Exactly. And I, and I see it that way too, Adam, like this is, this is a gift, like trauma can be turned into a gift when we know how to take action and change it in our life. And then it just ripples out and starts to affect everybody that we come into contact with. And for us, right? Like, especially our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's sort of a stage of anybody who has a complex trauma history that, you know, there, there is, it's natural and normal to have a stage of, why and anger to like, why did my life become this way? And, you know, why, how did I get here? And then you start to think, think back and do like catalogs of experiences and why were my parents this way? And why were, I think that's a natural stage and an important stage for people to get support through, but to know that that's, that's not where if you have the right support, you, you, you're likely not to get stuck there. Yeah. And that's a really good point that you're bringing up. And I'm so glad you're bringing it up because this is what happens where a lot of people start to process because what you're describing are processing questions and people start to process before they're actually ready to process. They don't have the support in place. And I teach a masterclass that has become my, my most popular masterclass sells out every time. And I teach the two foundational pillars that we need to have in order to resolve trauma. One of them is processing, but unfortunately, people have only known about the processing pillar. They don't know about the other foundational pillar that we actually have to have in place before we start processing. And that other pillar is regulation. Regulation is a term that refers to your ability to calm your system down and not let it get over emotional, not let it, I I call it like jumping off the emotional cliff. Like, whoop, there I go. Right. Hope, hope I had my parachute ready. Um, because we can spiral Mm -hmm. out with our emotions if we start processing things and asking those kinds of questions and processing before we have that regulation in, in place. If I were running the world, I would be teaching regulation in kindergarten because these are very basic skills that it's just like, it's the manual for the human body. Like it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't just be things that you only learn over with somatic therapists. Like this is like, this is what the animals naturally instinctively do. And we've lost those instincts, but a person has to, has to, has to, has to have regulation skills be able to self-regulate before they can safely process. And if they try to start processing before they have that regulation in place, that's when they will experience more anxiety. They will experience more guilt, more overwhelm. They may have a flare-up of their physical health symptoms. And so it's so important to have that regulation piece in place first And that's actually where I start all of my patients. So anybody coming to me, like I started 
not even ordering their labs first. But let me teach you some regulation. And now I've turned it into a whole 21-day journey that I take groups of people through at a time. Let me teach you these regulation skills because once you have these skills, my goodness, like you can do so much more. But without them, ooh, I would I would not open that Pandora's box of trauma. Mm, yeah, yeah. So responsible. And I can see how like you have the trifecta and actually I don't is there a word for four parts to like I know trifecta but there's got to be a word because you have like the healer <laughs> this yeah you have the healer the scientist the public health vision and then your own personal journey that all kind of come to the kind of forefront of your your offering it's just really special and um I want to thank you for for being here and sharing, you know, what you shared today. Um, I, I could see this if being the, you know, the part of future conversations too, because uh, there's just so much more to, to get into as uh, this is just a fascinating and very important topic. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And I, um, if you want to leave us with any parting words, I would welcome that. Yeah. I, I want to just share hope. And for me, like, this is what I see when I start to work with people is that I see where they're at at the moment, but I see their potential. And I have now worked with thousands of people and seen them build their capacity and experience the change and get to see who they really are now that they're able to show up for life and show up for themselves and their family very, very differently. It is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And, and And so I just want to encourage people that whatever you're struggling with, whatever has been your experiences in the past, that with the right tools in the right order, in the right order, please. Oh my goodness. So much is possible at, at any age. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the one thing podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. Forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.